Ohio Habla es un podcast que nace del proyecto Narrativas Orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio. Exploramos la experiencia latina con entrevistas en español, inglés y spanglish. Welcome to Ohio Habla. I'm your host, Elena Fowles, and today we will be talking about a problem that is affecting our community, opioid addiction. Ohio leads the nation in opioid-related overdose deaths with a record 4,050 drug overdose deaths reported in 2016, a 33% increase from 2015, according to the Ohio Department of Health, and access to treatment is slim. In fact, OSU professor Mark Partridge stated that Ohio likely only has the capacity to treat 20 to 40 percent of the estimated 92,000 to 170,000 Ohioans who are abusing or dependent on opioids. Our guest today, Dr. Anaí Ortiz, will help us understand more about this topic. Dr. Ortiz was appointed the Franklin County Coroner in November of 2014 and she is the first Latina to hold this position in the, in the county. More about our guest. Dr. Anaí Ortiz was born in New York, New York. She graduated from the Sophie Davis School of Biomedical Education, a six-year BSMD program at City College of New York, and received her medical degree from Downstate Medical College in Brooklyn. Dr. Ortiz moved to Central Ohio area in 1996, where she has worked as a pediatrician at Nationwide Children's Hospital, Westside Community Health Center, and North Community Counseling. Dr. Anaí Ortiz has almost 30 years of experience in working with high-risk communities in the medical field. She brings this experience and knowledge to the Office of Corner, where she is a voice to those who die of violent means, and where she works to improve the lives of our community. Dr. Ortiz, welcome to this podcast. Can you talk to us about the opioid crisis in Ohio and the programs and initiatives you're leading to bring awareness and relief to those affected by this problem? First of all, thank you so much for having me here and um, for highlighting this issue, uh, mm -hmm. which I think needs uh, more awareness throughout mm -hmm. the county and the state. Um, in terms of uh, I think you have the numbers right, mm -hmm. you know, 4,050 last year increase. Uh, what's fueling that is fentanyl, um, mm -hmm. what's known as fentanyl and the fentanyl analogs. Here in central Ohio in Franklin County, as of September, we had 383 overdose deaths, uh, which is um, over the amount that occurred for the entire year 2016. Mm. So I'm estimating about 500 overdose deaths here in Franklin County mm. for the year. Again, most of this is fueled by fentanyl and fentanyl analogs. So in terms of what's, what's happening, uh, programs, um, Ohio itself through the governor's office has something called G-Coat. I have to look it up to, you know, because I always forget what G-Code stands for. It's mm -hmm. the Governor's Cabinet of Opiate um, and Addiction Treatment, I believe. Um, and what they do is they, they're looking at the crisis here in Ohio and putting forth bills, uh, increasing money for treatment, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. You can always uh, go online. They have an online presence with a lot of information on what they're doing for Ohio. Mm -hmm. Here in Franklin County, 
we have in 2015 I started more of a grassroots kind of um, initiative uh, task force to look at the issue um, and start working on the issue mainly also bringing awareness to the folks of Franklin County of what was going on because we were seeing more and more deaths in the coroner's office for mm-hmm. overdoses. Um, this year, twenty well, this past year, mm-hmm. we're now in 2018. In yeah. 2017, um, March of 2017, the, the city and the county got together and formed um, an opiate action plan. So that is the working action plan now um, that we are all working with. Mm-hmm. Um, in that, there are a few different committees, uh, and I chair the recovery and community engagement uh, subcommittees mm. for that. And uh, in those committees, we're looking at increasing recovery housing, um, uh, utilizing the faith community mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. for, for uh, the opiate crisis, and also looking at the uh, African American community mm-hmm. um, because their numbers are increasing about 5% a year. Mm-hmm. I know Vineyard, um, Vineyard Church in Westerville hosted a, like a su- type of summit uh, conference um, just last month, correct? Mm-hmm. Were you part of that? Um, some of the members of the Opiate Action Plan were there. I, I wasn't able to attend that one. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, and we have a few events coming up through the, through the committee, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are painkillers one of the causes of this epidemic? And what are doctors doing to lessen this problem? So uh, painkillers, first of all, when you going back in history, Mm -hmm. we've always had problem with addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been around since uh, mankind. Mm -hmm. Um, Opiates were uh, discovered or started being used uh, between 6,000 and 2,000 BC. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, overdose was first discovered or first mentioned in the 1600s. Mm-hmm. So it's been around, and we've had here in the United States problems with it since early on the 1800s. After the Civil War, we had problems in um, the 1970s and the 1980s with mm-hmm. cocaine and heroin. Um, so this isn't quite a new problem, but it's resurfaced, I think, pushed on or or, um, fueled on by, yes, by the uh, uh, opiate prescribing by physicians, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, uh, way back in the 1990s. That was one of the, um, they call it the fifth vital signs. Insurance companies were mandating and hospitals were mandating that we look at pain as a fifth vital sign and treating the pain. So, what they had at that time to treat pain was opiates, and mm-hmm. uh, the prescribing started. Mm-hmm. And now, um, what the Board of Medicine here in Ohio, I have to uh, really applaud them for their efforts. They've really um, uh, come down on opiate prescribing. They've gotten um, put together some protocols and also limited uh, the amounts that can be prescribed, for example, through the emergency room. Uh, they put together protocols that physicians have to um, work with on prescribing for acute and chronic pain, two different kinds of pain. None of that um, uh, um, is for uh, 
severe pain like cancer. That's mm-hmm. excluded because that's a different that's a different issue altogether. But for um, the usual, you know, common pain symptoms that people come in for, the um, the Board of Medicine here in Ohio has put a lot of restrictions mm-hmm. on physician prescribing, and this is all within the last year, mm-hmm. year and a half. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, I recently saw something on TV where uh, physicians are actually taking action or, you know, to look for other ways to deal with pain, mm-hmm. right? That's not um, the prescription of this medication. What are some of the signs of addictions that we, uh, that, of addiction that we need to look for? Basically, um, if one of your friends or loved ones has an addiction, you're, in the beginning, it's probably hard to um, see it because you see the person every day all the time. Um, but as time goes on, you notice changes and, and mainly you start noticing changes in behavior mm-hmm. where they were more uh social mm-hmm. they're more withdrawn mm-hmm. um, they're they may be more drowsy or tired all the time um, one of the big symptoms with opiates is constipation they mm-hmm. may be you know chronically complaining of constipation issues mm-hmm. um, so um, mainly it's um, a lot of behavior or changes in behavior, maybe uh, not going to work, mm-hmm. whereas they used to go to work regularly on time. Maybe they're not going to work on time. Um, they're taking days off. They're sick all the time, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. How does this crisis affect the Latino community in particular? So here, particularly in Franklin County, we're not seeing the numbers that we are for um, the white Americans, non-Latinos, or for the um, African Americans in terms of addiction. Latinos have um, problems with addictions in in other states where we have a a larger population and a larger presence, um, but not so much here. What, What we are seeing, and this is throughout the United States, are problems with alcohol, which is an addiction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the main drug of choice for Latinos and Latinas in mm-hmm. terms of um, addiction and altering your consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Okay. Uh, is language a factor when bringing awareness or offering treatment options for the Latino community? So it's been extremely difficult mm-hmm. um, to get Latinos and Latinas into treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because we have a real lack of treatment facilities, treatment programs that take into account um, language. Mm-hmm. Maybe this particular patient who's Latino, Latina, um, does not speak English very well. Mm-hmm. And you're, you know, you're engaging them in English and they didn't, they're not understanding. Mm-hmm. And the other, the other issue is um, taking into account their, their cultural beliefs and their culture just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, talking to them about um, American lifestyle or ways of living which are not you know, not as common in some Latino um, families. Um, and now I'm forgetting my the, the third that I was thinking of, but um, mainly it's uh, uh, the lack of Latino-Latina uh, behavioral health providers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have someone who is Latina 
and that's your provider, that's who is treating you, you're more likely to engage Mm -hmm. and maybe follow directions, and they are more likely to understand where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. So there's a real lack of, of that in behavioral health. Do you think um, sometimes I, I feel, and I might, I might be wrong on this, is that, uh, for example, teaching um, the Latino community about um, the uh, addiction in terms of medication might be um, foreign to them because uh, they might associate, well, my doctor prescribed this. And, and, and we know that in our communities, um, uh, people in positions of power like um uh, teachers and doctors, uh, they know what is good for us, right? And mm-hmm. and, and we don't um, uh, question uh, their authority. Um, so if uh, our doctor is prescribing this and, and if it's, you know, a, a legal drug, um, do you feel like maybe there, maybe there, um, there, there might be some borderline addiction that they don't identify because they're thinking, well, I must, it, this must be okay since my doctor prescribed it. That's that's an interesting question because I I spoke at um, it was it was at Vineyard Church, but it was quite a few months back, mm-hmm. and it was a um, a school fair or a fair right before school started. I think it was that was for the Latino uh, community there. Mm-hmm. And they had me speaking on this topic. And I had a few questions just on that mm-hmm. because people um, follow the doctor's directions. Yeah. And so the questions I w- was getting were, do I have an addiction? This is what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, because my, pre- my physician has prescribed me this pill for this long, and now I'm feeling this. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I was... A, totally amazed and yes that that is that is certainly an issue and I think um, family members need to get involved um, and it is okay to question a physician mm-hmm. it's okay um, it's a mutual um, relationship mm-hmm. yes the physician knows medicine etc but maybe the physician doesn't know your culture maybe the physician doesn't know you know, your home life or what's going on or your understanding of things. Um, so, yeah, I, it's okay to question. It's okay to get more information before you start a medication or when you're on a medication if you're feeling something, if you have questions. And definitely if you suspect a family member is having issues, it's okay to speak to a physician. They may not be able to talk to you because of confidentiality, mm-hmm. but you can at least share with them what you're seeing mm-hmm. so that they have that um, information. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. <clears throat> you work on training your staff on cultural sensitivity. Uh, can you tell us what are some of the things you do to educate your staff and others regarding cultural awareness when dealing with sensitive issues such as, for example, providing a death certificate or talking about death to, uh, again, our Latino mm-hmm. uh, community? So. Um, Mainly what I've done is translate forms. Um, And then I have um, at least a couple of us who speak Spanish. So now there is someone there in Spanish. I've also, on our website, have 
have that little button where you're able to translate, and I have a few words translated in Spanish, a few sentences translated in Spanish, and have that button where you can translate mm-hmm. from English into Spanish. And then what what I've done is bring in speakers from different, actual from different religions, mm-hmm. um, to inform the staff on the different religions and and the death rites and and how to be more sensitive. For mm-hmm. example, the Hindu religion, the the Muslim religion, the Jewish religion. Um, most of them know Catholicism and mm-hmm. Christianity, so that's not something that we brought in. But um, <clears throat> I also brought in speakers. Um, to talk on uh, human trafficking mm-hmm. um, and um, domestic violence, which is a big issue mm-hmm. in the Latino community. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, can you share any news about uh, future research or initi- initiatives that you're leading or your office is leading? Right now we're involved in um, N- what we naloxone training i'm not sure if you know what naloxone no, is. is it's um it's sort of a, a life-saving measure uh when someone has an overdose mm-hmm. it's a medication that you give it's a spray goes up the nose mm-hmm. and most of the time it works um it revives them mm-hmm. so uh, we've been working with public health departments the, both the franklin county and the columbus to go to the different communities that wish it mm-hmm. um, do a presentation and then we hand out narcan to the community for free mm-hmm. so that they have it um, we're hoping a lot of the families of people who have addiction problems will have that in their you know in their cabinets or carry that around with them in case their loved ones have an overdose um, so that they can help revive. So we're pushing that to the community. We've been doing that since March. Um, again, all of this is free, and um, you can contact any one of the offices, Franklin County Public Health, um, Columbus Public Health, or our office to um, get the ball rolling and get us over there mm-hmm. to talk about Narcan and give it out for free. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, uh, we work with HIDA, which is High Intensity Drug Trafficking I think it's agency mm-hmm. um, and um, to map the different locations where the overdose um, deaths occur mm-hmm. and then they put in the law enforcement information into these maps and it's been used for law enforcement um, to look at where and then some of the other information that goes in there is just amazing um, you know are they married are they single uh, do they work their jobs um, age etc etc so so we're able to map and have um, a good idea of, of um, the areas that it's occurring in and and the people that it's occurring to. Mm-hmm. Um, the other, um, what we're trying to do in terms of the committee that I chair, we are going to be putting on a conversation with the recovery home providers. Mm-hmm. So recovery homes are places that people go to after they've been through treatment and they are in um, in recovery mm-hmm. at that point, right? They're, they may be on some medication for the treatment like Suboxone mm-hmm. or Vivitrol, or they may have done it cold turkey and, and they're off. But they still need that support after. They can't go back, really. Um, if you want sustained recovery, you need to have... Um, a complete package is what we call it, uh, and it would benefit them to go into recovery homes. Mm-hmm. So there are multiple multitude of these recovery homes in Franklin County. However, most of them are not certified. 
Mm-hmm. There are only maybe two or three that are certified. Um, and some of them are run by not so good-minded people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so something to be to look for, to be aware of. I right. Guess. Mm-hmm. So we're trying, what we want to have is a conversation mm-hmm. with recovery home providers, as many as will come, um, maybe a dinner or a lunch with them, and talk about their obstacles to getting certified, mm-hmm. their needs, um, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So we're hoping to do that um, in March or April, mm-hmm. have that conversation with several of them. And by doing that, we're hoping that some of them, we can educate them more on the certification process mm-hmm. and and also develop. We have a list right now, but we're not sure which ones you know, are, say, good, Mm -hmm. you know, recovery Mm -hmm. home providers and which ones are not. It's Mm -hmm. just a working list, and that's who we're going to, you know, invite as many as we can from the list. The other thing is we're going to have another event uh, with the faith-based folks. This one is in combination. Um, We want to have – it's kind of – someone called it speed dating, the speed dating tables, you know, but Mm -hmm. it's not really speed dating. It's like the same procedure or process. Yeah, the format. Uh Yeah, Mm -hmm. the format. So we have different tables Mm -hmm. and each table is hosted by one topic, one Mm -hmm. person who talks about a topic. So one person's going to be from Ohio Recovery Housing. Mm -hmm. You know, one person is going to be from Mary Haven talking about treatment, et cetera, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And then um, the people will change, you know, they'll get up every 25 minutes and change tables to a topic they want to learn more about. Mm-hmm. And this is for the reco- uh, the faith-based community uh, folks because they want to do more and we would like to engage them more. This time around, we had one earlier this year it was quite successful and this time around we want to add mentors mm-hmm. and the foster home, mm-hmm. uh, the mm-hmm. National Youth Advocacy Program folks who do the foster homes because they are they have wait lists for the foster child for children, um, so we'd like to inform more people on the foster ch- you know situation that's going on here, mm-hmm. and perhaps get some people to to foster to sign up to mm-hmm. sign up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Dr. Ortiz. Thank you for joining us today and talking to us about your work. It's been a pleasure talking to you and and listening uh, to all of the initiatives and things that you're doing with uh, with your staff. Gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima.